1: Hey everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack Podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. I've got a celebrity with me today. Oh my goodness. Yeah, this is going to be, this is, this is a big deal. I mean, I, I, you know, interview a lot of C-list people and this is an A++ interviewee. Um, His name is Will Drury and Will is a, uh, career advanced manufacturing operator for some of the largest and most prestigious advanced manufacturing companies in Silicon Valley. Um, Some of them you might have heard of, including Tesla, Um, did some incredible work on the Tesla plants. He has also worked at Social Construct. He was also VP of supply chain of the rocket company Astra. And now he decided to become a masochist and get out of being an operator and be a founder who is starting up a new uh, software company, um, I'm going to start with a story. I usually don't talk this much. That's fine. I do, but not on the podcast. <laughs> you can keep talking. But I'm going to tell you how I got to to know Will. Um, Will was a guy who my uh, one of my co- co- companies um, admires a lot because they work in advanced manufacturing and supply chain. And they would always, you know, bring up this guy, Will Drury, like you were this mythical unicorn, right? And how how incredible you were at supply chain because you worked at Astra at the time where we serviced as a customer. And, um, you know, then I hear from the, you know, the back channels that you were involved, um, you know, doing some stuff with social capital. You know, I think, I think uh, Chamath was an investor both in Astra and in Relativity.
0: Relativity and uh, a battery company I'm on the board of, MitraChem. MitraChem, Yeah. And so... You know, I'm a
1: fanboy of Chamath. You know, he's got, you know, he's got very mixed opinions. I think he's fantastic. I love I love the guy. And I was at the All-In Summit and and I see him kind of standing in the corner talking to some people. And I said, Okay, David, how am I gonna get this guy's attention? <laughs> right? And so I knew about your reputation, I knew how much Chamath likes you from just, you know, hearing, you know, how he talks about you in the public sphere. And I go up to him and I just mumble a couple words and I say, Will Drury. And he stops and he looks at me and he goes, you know, Will? And I was like, well, kind of. He works a lot with the portfolio company of mine. We do advanced manufacturing sorting. And he looks down at my badge to try to figure out who I am. And he was probably
0: like, I'm so sorry you know that guy. <laughs>
1: no, no. He was actually like, oh, wow. he's an, he, I think he's, the word was exceptional. And he looked at my badge and I said, don't worry about my badge. I'm, you know, I'm a nobody. (laughs) You need to pay attention to data, my company. So anyway, lo and behold, I got his email address. You know, I helped facilitate, you know, kind of introduction. I think you helped with that as well. And um, that is my Will Drury story is that he resonates. He breaks down barriers for me. He gets me in the right room. Even if I, you know, pretended I know him. And now I do know him and I'm super excited for him to be here. Will, how are you doing today?
0: I'm great. I mean... I'm in Phoenix, uh, in Scottsdale, it's beautiful here, the weather's nice, it's hot, but I like the heat. Um, And I'm really excited about all the stuff I'm getting to work on. I'm here for a conference uh, with the Advanced Manufacturing Technology Organization. Um, I've just been meeting some amazing people this week. So I, I really do feel like, you know, things are starting to take off for me. Um, I couldn't be more excited to be here with you.
1: So, for the listeners that don't know, what is advanced manufacturing specifically in the realm that in which you specialize in?
0: Yeah, so advanced manufacturing is any kind of technology that's used to manu- to make um, you know parts or products that m- require the forming of material or um, which could be additive. People know 3D printing. 3D printing can be done with polymers, it can be done with metals. There's all sorts of ways that now that people are building really cool and innovative products in that sphere. Um, Subtractive technology has been around for decades. So subtractive means you're taking away material. So things like CNC machines, lathes, mills, um, they're all considered to be uh, advanced manufacturing technology. And so... Manufacturers have been using this stuff for years, um, you know, decades to build things for aerospace, defense, automotive, lots of industries. But the way thing, the way technology is is developing today, we're able to do things that we never thought were possible. So when you couple advanced manufacturing techniques like three D printing with generative AI or generative design. Um, you're able to come up with designs and form factors that a human would never dream of. And it used to be that you could dream that thing up, but not make it. But now with the way the technology is advancing, you can actually make those things. So that's a, Advanced manufacturing in a in a nutshell.
1: Is there like a cost component as well that has you know um, kind of stimulated the growth of these of this industry? Because it seems to me that like all of a sudden everyone's talking about it. And you know, if three D printers have been around for a while, and so have obviously CNC machines, you know, what is the the precipice of the growth?
0: Yeah, there are a few things coming to coming to a head. Um, so I mentioned like uh, CNC machining. Um, subtractive technology has been around for quite a while. Um, but there are some things that manufacturers are able to do now, um, with like translating the digital design that you have of a product to actually making that product. They call it computer, um, computer aided design to computer aided manufacturing CAD CAD to Mm -hmm. cam Mm -hmm. specifically. Um, the translation time is much faster now because it used to be that you had to have someone code all these things in to teach the machine how to make the product. But now that's, um, become much faster, much easier the material costs for things like the 3d uh, 3d printing technology are coming down um in the industry that i come from in metal 3d printing um, they use a technology that's called metal powder fusion so -hmm. you literally start with a dust like powder metal and that can be any kind of an alloy or whatever and they shoot lasers at it and those lasers melt the, the, (laughs) melt the powder briefly and then accumulate it into a stack. And so at the end of it, it looks like you just have this stack of metal, but you dust it off and you shake off all the powder and there's a part in there. So the cost of lasers are going down. The cost of motors are going down. Um, and with the advent of new technologies, they're helping to make, um, human processes automated. Now, um, that those are some of the things that are drastically bringing down the cost of advanced manufacturing and they're making it more accessible to people and industries where um, it used to be that you couldn't get the cost to pencil out. You can make the part, but you can never sell it to anybody. Now you can actually, with the economics of the, of this equipment, you can actually make those products and make a profit.
1: Wow. Yeah. So margins are increasing. And generally I always thought CNC manufacturers, there's kind of like a,
0: a low volume, high margin type of product. Is that, is that an accurate? Um, it depends. I mean, there are lots of high volume, uh, manufacturers that use CNC machining on a regular basis. So it really depends on the product that you're making. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it comes down to is, um, that there are different types of geometries. You might have something that's like really, uh, a complex design. Maybe it's a bracket or something that needs to go onto a 777. Um, those are the types of things that need to be machined. Um, And you can either start from like in a a solid block of metal and, and shave it down from there. Um, Or you can start from something that's like a rough form factor, but you are right that like, it's not a a very fast way to make things or a very efficient way. Mm -hmm. In most cases in subtractive technology, you're scraping away 80% of the material put it into a recycling bin, send it back to the metal distributors, and they give you some money back for it, but it's fraction a fraction of what you paid for it. Um, and so what manufacturers are doing is they're trying to just be really smart about the things that they do in, um, in higher volumes and making the form factor of that starting piece of metal as close as possible to the finished product as possible.
1: So yeah, I kinda look at this as, this is really just taking away, it's digitizing what Was human craftsmanship. Is that, would that be accurate? accurate? That is accurate. (laughs) You know, like what a a blacksmith would do in the medieval ages, bending metal, being super precise, something probably as, you know, has evolved, you know, over the centuries. But now we're taking an area, we're computerizing it, we're taking an image and we're making things with incredibly high precision. That's right. And so where is, um, Let's stop. Let's stop there because I think this is really, I don't, I want to talk about the company, but I want to talk about you and your foray into advanced manufacturing and kind of your background and what led you to actually building uh, your company. Uh,
0: it's, it's a story. Um, you, know, the, you know, let's, let's say the, the, the easy story is um, I've been in manufacturing and supply chain for most of my career. I actually started my career working as a contractor for the U.S. government. Um, I worked for Department of Defense, I worked for NASA, um, did a bunch of work for lots of companies. And um, on this project that I got staffed on with Department of Defense, a partner comes to me and he's like, hey, I've got this international project. I think you'd be really great for it. It's manufacturing oriented. It just happens to be in a location, it's kind of a conflict zone. And I was like, all right, where are we going? Yeah, um, going to
1: Mexico. <laughs> you know? Mexico, yeah,
0: like <laughs> wherever, Pittsburgh, where I came from. It, <laughs> he's like, no, it's in the Middle East, in Baghdad. And, um, you know, I need you and a team of, of three people to go out there for a year and help um, a few of these Iraqi factories source some equipment so that they can start to operate again. And, you know, my mind was kind of blown, first of all, that this was a Department of Defense program. Um, but they were looking at it at, and the guys that um you know manufacturing is really the bedrock of most world economies and so if you can start to make investments in that in that space and employ people actively that are doing things productive to the rest of the economy then it's going to have a positive impact overall on um physical security, uh economic security and all of those things. And so you know, on top of learning about all the equipment I was sourcing, things like tire presses, cement tumbling machines, electricity generators, all that stuff. um, I was really, I really got turned on to this idea that manufacturing can be used as a tool for economic development. And so, you know, when I moved back to the States, um, I ended up, found myself out in Silicon Valley. Um, I was working at a a software company. I wasn't entirely in love with it, but um, a friend of mine was like, hey, I've, um, I got a job at this electric vehicle startup. You should come and check it out. And in my mind, I was going to, you know, see a golf cart or something, <laughs> um, and <laughs> a Walmart parking lot. Right. And, you know, he brings me out to the Tesla factory in Fremont that they had just acquired from, uh, from Toyota. And he took me for a ride in the car, which blew my mind. But taking the walk through the factory was really the thing that just like, you know, completely blew me away. Um, because so what, was,
1: yeah, what, what, around what year was this? How, how long? This, was this?
0: So this was 2013 and okay. at Tesla, I don't think in years, I think in terms of programs because <laughs> they're all consuming. <laughs> so Tesla just launched the model S and okay. they were designing at the time, the model X. And, um, as we were walking through the factory, you know, I noticed that like, maybe 20% of the space was occupied and most of it was just dark areas with a bunch of old equipment there. And my friend was like, look, I've got an agenda here. Um, we have a <laughs> bunch of people to buy parts for the vehicle, but we don't have anyone to buy the actual manufacturing equipment we need to make Model X or Model 3 or any of that stuff. I, I know you did that, some stuff in Iraq that, you know, was equipment oriented. Maybe you can do the same thing here. Um, and so it turns out like the rest is history. I ended up meeting with the supply chain leader at Tesla. Um, And in my first week, he puts me in front of Elon and he's going on one of his classic tirades. And we're like literally just as close as you and I are right now. (laughs) And so if you've never been to an Elon meeting, um, you know, he typically sits on one side of the table. Everyone else sits on the other (laughs) side. And he's just going on this rant about how we're paying so much for robots and we have no idea what we're doing and we need to get the prices down and all this stuff. And so, um, you know, I've, you know, my boss was kind enough to be like, well, yeah, we just brought this new guy, Will, in here. He's, here he's sitting right here. He's going to take care of all this stuff for you. Tell so, him, well. Tell, tell him, tell him. Tell <laughs> him. And so I was like, I, you know, a week in and I get back to my desk and I was like, crap, I have no idea where to even start with this. Who even makes this stuff? Can I buy it from them? Do I need to buy it through a distributor? Um, who's going to program them? And I really had to I was left to my own devices to figure out how to source things within this industry. So lucky for me, I was able to do that for robots, and I got a discount, and I got to keep my job for a few more weeks, and Elon was happy. But Did, did, he, did he tell you he was happy? No, he never says that. Um, he told <laughs> me, uh, he said, um, so did you just get a great deal because you're good, or do you think they were screwing us? And I was like, you know, I think they were screwing us. And he's like, good answer. So <laughs> <laughs> um but it was it was fascinating because we got to I got to learn so much about so many different types of equipment, and I feel like it was a really special position because Tesla was so vertically integrated and still is. So what I mean by that is Tesla is a company that starts with coils of aluminum rolling in the you know the the back um you know docks of the factory. They uncoil those, they put them in these massive stamping presses, press them into form factors. They start with plastic pellets, they put to in, uh, them into injection molding machines, they press the front fascia that goes on the car, like they are literally starting with the bare bones, the ver- the very like elemental parts of the car and making it. And so what that meant for me is that I had to build relationships with all of these companies. I had to learn enough about how they worked from the engineers that I worked with to know what type of things should I buy and you know what's going to be good for our our, our our manufacturing line. Um, And that was earlier in your career, right? Yeah. Relatively. I mean, I was like 25. I should never have been put in charge of that much responsibility. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm (laughs)
1: trying to think, I'm like, that's, I mean, yeah, you, you know, you had, you had uh, uh, management consulting experience. You had some, you know, definitely some defense experience, but that's a lot of responsibility.
0: Yeah. It was like three and a half billion dollars worth of responsibility. (laughs) So it was a lot of money. I've never, I might never see that much money again in my lifetime. Um, but it was phenomenal because, um, you know, because in that, in that position, you get to learn so much. So I always tell people the thing I took away from it is really the learning. Um, and it wasn't always pleasant. It wasn't always fun, but, um, I tell people you can, um, you can be grateful for the opportunity, even if you didn't always enjoy the experience of going through it. So that was one of those things for me, um, that, that. You know quite honestly, I wouldn't be in a position today to start my new company Diagon if it weren't for um, that that experience that I had at, at Tesla mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I hear the culture is very similar at spacex too
0: <laughs> I've heard that i um I worked with quite a few Spacex people and yeah. my uh, in my previous company at astra and um yeah i mean it's uh, uh, like you know you can. People use things like, "Oh, was it a bad culture, a good culture?" Like, there's no good. No, or bad, it's a really. it's a it's a high performance culture. It's a high performance culture, and it's the culture that's needed to do the things right. that these companies do. It's not so, for everybody. It's not for everybody. Um, you know, we were you know, pioneers in the electric vehicle space. I remember going to people's factories or you know, our suppliers, and I had to pitch them on doing business with us. Like, mm-hmm. I literally I had a Tesla pitch deck because. Yeah, they were mispronouncing the name. They're like, oh, is this a TELSA? You know, what do you guys do? What do you make, right? Um, And so I remember, um, you know, just being in that position and having to prove everyone everyone wrong um, and having to achieve the impossible regularly where that became such a routine thing that, um, you know, now so many people from that era of Tesla are starting their own companies now. Mm -hmm. It's one of those places that kind of transforms the way you think, like they put your brain in a blender, um, you know, (laughs) pour it into, uh, you know, into a little ramekin, they bake it, and you come out with something completely new. And so now everyone is is taking those lessons that they learn from SpaceX, from Tesla, from all these places, and reapplying them to new industries. So I really think it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of a... Um, a great training ground where you learn how to become an elite athlete, and then you apply those those principles to whatever you want to, whatever problem you want to tackle.
1: Nice, nice. And so, how did that lead you into Diagon? And then you had some you had some experiences at some other great companies as yes, well. For
0: sure, they're all great companies. Um, I I would say you know after Tesla, just spending some time working in startups. Um, was one of those things that acclimated me to this idea that you're not always going to have billions of dollars to be able to go out and do this type of procurement. Um, you're not always going to have the resources available. So I've worked at 10-person companies um, and you know, rocket companies that were 100, uh, 100 people. So Astra was about 100 people when I joined. Did,
1: did Astra get rockets up?
0: Yeah, Astra yeah. got quite a few number of rockets up. So Astra launched, um, during my time there, we launched five rockets. I think we got six six of them up. Um And two successfully into orbit. so nice. one was a um a, a just a mass simulator, and um, another was like payload carrying with satellites. Awesome. So it was really impressive. Um, and I can tell you, there is no feeling like knowing that something you helped build is you know made it out into space and is now you know circling the earth at seventeen thousand miles an hour. Um, you know, that that was an amazing place to be.
1: Did you like carve your name into it like before? <laughs> what did up? we
0: do? No, we actually no, we didn't get to sign anything that went into space, but we um, you know, we did have a few rituals where everybody got to have their mark on the thing that we were making. Mm-hmm. So it was that cool. was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not but, like yeah.
1: software, right? And software is kind of a um, a thankless, you know, yeah, people use the product, but you don't have this grandiose, you know, um, climactic event.
0: That's right. I mean, that happens. You know, we talk about things um, because now I'm in the software world. And so it's, uh, it's been interesting for me using terms like, you know, when are we going to launch or when are we going to do this? And I'm like, wait, <laughs> launch, launch is a different, launch different, has a totally different <laughs> meaning <laughs> for me these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think um, in that vein, there are a lot of hardware people that have learned how to figure out and solve some really amazing hardware problems. Um, and in the past, I think we've seen um software people that are trying to apply those principles to hardware but now we're starting to see some of that cross-pollination where there are people coming from hard industries and building software tools that they know other people need so you asked me about how I start how, how I came to start Diagon um i just get people reaching out to me all the time like literally all the time asking me the most random questions about robots or 3D printers like where, you know, I, I'm in the I need to buy a dispensing robot. Like where can I get one from? How much should I pay for this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you know any integrators that can can program this or build this type of a line for me? Where can I get financing? Um, and so I, I spent some time doing consulting for a few organizations. Um, I've been an advisor to more than I can think of. And I was finally like, you know, what if I could put my brain into a platform and I could serve um, I could use that platform to serve as the purchasing function for specifically for this spend category because one of the things i realized is that even organizations that have a supply chain manager um that supply chain manager is typically focused on buying materials that they need that are going to become sure. the first product or you're
1: assuming the supply chain manager is walking into a, a existing factory that's doing
0: things I, exactly so they're walking into an infrastructure where maybe there's already some things existing um but Nobody really thinks about the procurement of equipment. Very few organizations, I will say, think about that as a strategic part of their, their organization. And so there isn't usually a person like me, like I was at Tesla at um, you know, a 50-person or 100-person machine shop or um, a venture-backed startup.
1: Would that, would that person be like uh, someone that works at like, um, what's it called? The place that you're doing your accelerator.
0: Um. Oh. Um. Like. Uh. At Autodesk. Autodesk. Yeah. yeah. Would that
1: be? Would that? Would that kind of be a consultative? You know. Like, hey, can we also sell you some software type of type of deal?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it could be. So. Um. I think it might help to you maybe explain how we're building the software and sure. then how we can we can tie in with things that companies like Autodesk are doing. So I started thinking about this procurement function just really purely. You know, you're spending a million dollars on you know CNC machines or metal 3D printers or whatever, um, and that might not seem like a lot to a, a large company. It seems like a lot to you and me. But like, if you're a venture-backed company, a lot of times you know these companies are betting the house on whatever manufacturing they absolutely need to do, and they may have no idea where to begin with that process, how much to spend, where to get it, and um, and like how to get financing and tracking and shipping and all of that stuff, and so. We built Diagon as a business-to-business marketplace for manufacturing equipment um, where you can go, you can do a a search, a broad search on an equipment category, you know, put in metal 3D printers. Um, And then based on the customer's needs, maybe they have uh, a product that has a certain size or form factor that dictates the printing envelope that that the printer will need to have. And then there are materials. So like, uh, depending on the material, in in the aerospace industry, we use Inconel because it has a high melting point. It's like an, a metal alloy, and um, that's where the Wolverines' claws are made out of. Right? Oh yeah, <laughs> I think so. I got to <laughs> I got to do my research and see if there's a specification for it. But yeah, exactly those types of things, right? And so um, it it used to be that you would have to go and do a lot of primary research on your own and trying to find the companies that that make those printers. Maybe you would talk to you know, Bob down the hallway that in engineering, and he might've worked with a company at a previous previous job or a role. And so we're really just kind of bringing together all of that knowledge from across the industry, building it into this platform so that you can find the things you need. Once you find the things you need, you can actually purchase them there because doing even a web-based transaction is a pretty radical thing in the manufacturing industry. Um, And then once you find the products that you need, A lot of times there are other related or ancillary products that go along with it. So, for an industrial automation robot, you might need an end of arm tool. And you wanna know, is that end of arm tool compatible with the robot that I bought? Um, Does the robot have a high enough payload to carry that tool somewhere? If you've got a CNC machine, you might have a palletizer, a depalletizer. So, you asked about high volume manufacturing and CNC machining. One of the things the companies will do is they'll have like a loader where you can load up, you know an eight hour shift uh, worth of work into a, a palletizer. It sends it into the machine. The machine makes the part, kicks it back out, puts the next one in. Um, and all of those things have compatibility considerations. So we're trying to make that easier for our customers as well. Um, and then if you need programming support or maintenance support and things like that, um, all of these things are were so um, you know scattered or you know so so um, fragmented previously. Um, that I just felt like someone has to do something about this. And if no one's doing it, why not me? Um, and I, I started, once I got to that decision point, I started thinking to myself, I'm going to build the tool that I wish I always had when I was in this role doing this at a Fortune 500 company, because I know if I can make it work for that use case, um, if you're a you know, Middle America machine shop, or three D printer, um, or venture backed startup, um, that this platform can be used for any of those types of customers. And so far, the response has been a resounding yes. I think people are really interested in what we're building, and um, I'm excited to seize that opportunity. Awesome! So you just <laughs> raised a round. We did. We raised uh, a pre seed round of seven hundred fifty thousand. Uh, it was really great. We've um, we partnered with Valia Ventures. Mm -hmm. So they're an institutional investor. Um, They primarily early stage, but um, very founder friendly. They understood and caught the vision for what we were trying to build. And they're um, just really behind us. So um, yeah, so that's been great. We've got, um, we also recently got accepted into the Autodesk uh, residency program. So we're now uh, being able to take advantage of their founder space that they have in San Francisco, um, it's kind of a an R and D lab that's like a candy shop for you know anybody <laughs> that's into advanced manufacturing. Yeah. When you come to San Francisco, come and check it out. Um, you know, it's it, it's. I think it's really wise for founders to be around other founders and other people that are trying to build things because there's
1: something contagious about that.
0: There's something contagious about it. It's much more of an artistic process than a scientific one. Um, And so you need to be around other creators, other people who are going to build you up um, because there are enough people in this world that will try to tear you down. Yes. There's no shortage of haters. There's no shortage of haters. And there's no
1: shortage of headwinds. I mean, this stuff, I don't care what you do. I don't know know one founder that said that, you know, it's kind of easy.
0: No, it's not easy for anyone. And if they tell you that, they're a damn liar.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like the product market fit, you know, journey is insanely difficult. The the business building is extremely difficult. The go to market fit is extremely difficult.
0: Yeah. I mean, just thinking about even the, the economic situation that we're in today, people ask me like, you know, do you, oh, this is such a, they'll tell me this is such a hard time to start a business. You know, why did you do this now? You know, why are you, you know, trying to, you know, go up against these, these headwinds and the thing that I keep in mind is, first of all, there's just, yeah, I think about the macroeconomic situation that we're in today. Um, there's all this political talk about reshoring manufacturing and building more things you know, in domestically and closer Correct. to home, right? Um, and so as I started talking to companies uh, like our friends at, um, at Datum Source and uh, you know, other people who are really tapping into the American manufacturing base, I had this oh shit moment where I'm like, there just aren't enough manufacturers out there to absorb the demand to credibly absorb the demand from any of these big manufacturing hubs in Asia or overseas so how do we get more assets deployed that can actually make and build things for us. Yeah,
1: and they need to scale up quickly. I mean, they, you know, I guess, you know, how I would think about it is, you know, they, they probably have their jobs and their vendor or, or their, their their customers and they, you know, provide them suppliers. But like, you know, all of a sudden there's this Super Bowl-like moment where they can come up and they need to be competitive. Yeah, I mean. Or else it's going to go to Mexico.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I mean, Mexico, they're, they're going to be great partners for us too, but there are a lot of things... in aerospace and defense industry. Can't do it. Yeah, you can't do it overseas anywhere. Um, And I remembered struggling really hard to find, you know, certified, you've got to be ITAR compliant, Mm -hmm. um, you know, certified suppliers in order to do any kind of work on what is essentially is like a a weapons grade um, rocket. And so, um, yeah, so those things are going to be super important. And this is an opportunity for the American manufacturing base to step up and be superheroes. So we want to help them do that. Um, and so the other part of these economic dy- dynamics that we're up against is that companies aren't really hiring a lot right now. Um, you see, I mean, y- um, I'll clarify. In the software world, we see the the big headlines about Meta, Google, all of that. Um, and I think that you know that's the manufacturing base is is a distinct enough industry that it's kind of um, you know sh- sheltered from those types of of big layoffs, but mature manufacturing mature manufacturing yeah. I'll say yeah and you have um you have the need for uh assembly workers and you know people who are actually hands on operating the machines that demand is really high so in the you know the back end and kind of the the blue collar you know laboring workforce within the manufacturing world there is a huge demand for for them right now the thing that's lagging behind is the back office operations within these companies so I realized that they're not hiring procurement professionals. They're not hiring, you know, supply chain managers and, you know, people who are, are managing the business of manufacturing. And so now I think is actually a perfect opportunity to give the, these manufacturers, the, the people who are doing their best to, t- to tackle three and four jobs at a time, provide them with the tools that make their jobs easier. And so, um, you know, anytime you can automate a process of ordering parts um, or finding equipment that matches your needs. There's a bull market somewhere. There's a bull market somewhere. <laughs> you there, know, there's I, profit pools
1: somewhere. Yeah. There's opportunity. Any founder that says, oh, well, the market came, so my company failed. I mean, those, that's weak.
0: This week. That's weak sauce. <laughs> that's weak as fuck. <laughs> yes, man.
1: Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think the only difficult part is you know, just raising capital, but you know, there's, that's why you're an early stage company. You can pivot, you can do this, you can do that. You can, you know, add services, you can, <clears throat> you know, you could do a lots of different, tons of optionality.
0: I can do a lot of stuff today that I wouldn't be able to do, you know, if I were three or four years down the road, no, I can afford to take risks and mm-hmm. take on customers that, um you know, I just wouldn't scale for me at a different stage. So I'm really happy with where we are right now. Um, it's humble beginnings, but we've got to, really big demand in front of us and a really big opportunity that we're trying to take advantage of. So where is the profit
1: pools? Is it just the reshoring? Is that where you see it? Is it semiconductor?
0: Um, Not just reshoring. I think that um, in machining and manufacturing, there's a huge, um, huge opportunity. So some of it, yes, is coming from reshoring. Um, You see semiconductor companies that are are, are building new fabrication plants here. Um, TSMC, Taiwanese semiconductor company. They're building a massive plant right down the road from here in Arizona. They've invested now upwards of $10 billion in, in making more things domestically here. Um, Intel is investing in, uh, in new plants in, um, in Ohio. You have um, aerospace companies and, and really space technology companies like SpaceX, um, you know, Relativity, Astra. Um, so there, there, there is healthy demand for the products that we all need and rely on. Um, and the thing that I, w- I would remind people to keep in mind is that there are manufacturing clusters around each of those big, um, big names that you hear about. So for every um, Intel that's out there, there are, you know, 10 other companies within, you know, radius of their factories that are supporting and holding up their operations. Same for Boeing, same for Lockheed Martin, same for all of them. There are over 750,000 manufacturers in the U.S.
1: Yeah. No, I buy it. Crazy. <laughs> couple can questions before we end. Who should I interview? Who's another person should I interview after this that I, and what should I interview them on?
0: Great question. Um, one at the top of my mind is a guy named Vivas Kumar. Okay. Yeah. So Vivas is a, another Tesla founder. We worked together at Tesla. He was responsible for batteries and I was responsible for equipment. And he is now building um, lithium iron, uh, iron-based cathode materials to support the EV market. So, brilliant guy. Um, he's got a great co-founding team. I'm on his board. Um, and I've just seen them do amazing things over the last few years. I think that you know, we're going to hear a lot more about that um, as more manufacturers start to take off. I love, um, I love the, like, you know, Tesla's market cap is
1: bigger than all the, you know, GMs. And they're only producing this many cars. I'm like, do you know how many EV cars are going to have Tesla parts in them?
0: yeah <laughs> all of them all of them <laughs> you know period that's if you're lucky right if they want to sell to you right yeah it's, it's <laughs> gonna be a, it's gonna be a really amazing to see the the rise um, that that's starting to happen best um, piece of
1: business advice you've ever gotten
0: best piece of business advice i've ever gotten
1: um best piece of business advice chamath has ever given you
0: hmm chamath <laughs> all right chamath has given me some great advice Shamatha was one of the, the, he was like, honestly, the catalyst for me stepping out and starting this business. Um, I just remember talking to him one day about uh, this vision that I had to start, um, you know, start a business that was focused on manufacturers. And he was just like, how much do you need? And, <laughs> you know, you kind of laugh those things off. And, uh, and he uh, looks at me just deadpan. And he's like, you think I'm joking? I'm really serious. Like you actually put together a budget and tell me how much money you need. Um, you should start this business and don't wait, like, don't waste your time trying to, you know, wait for the perfect moment. There's never going to be a perfect moment. Um, and maybe that's the, the piece of advice I would say. That's the thing that kind of pushed me over, over the edge to actually have the, the guts to step out and do it. Um, but yeah, it's good advice. Yeah. Life's not a dress rehearsal. No. Everybody,
1: thank you so much for tuning in. We drop an episode every week where we talk to incredible people like, like Will about, you know, what it's like to do uh, to do really cool stuff in the, in the world and how we can get ahead, right, and what we can do to, you know, stay on the edge, right, and, and have an advantage. So thank you so much. We could drop an episode every Tuesday. If you like it, please subscribe. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.